to the Pac-Man Podcast, patriotic American citizen. I'm Ted Flint on the BMG Network. Well, looky here. Joe Biden potentially had classified documents at the Biden Center. He was vice president. They were found, these documents were found in the Washington office space of then vice president uh, Biden. And there's a special counsel to the president, Richard Sauber, said a small number of documents with classified markings were discovered as Biden's personal attorneys were clearing out the offices of the Penn Biden Center, where the president kept an office after he left the vice presidency back in 2017 until shortly before he launched his 2020 presidential bid. Now, you know, the media and the Democrats investigated Trump. They still are investigating Trump over the documents he had in Mar-a-Lago. Now, here's Biden with these documents, and Trump declassified the documents at Mar-a-Lago. He was president. He had the authority to declassify those documents, and he's still getting investigated. Nothing. The media crickets on this story. The mainstream media is not touching this story, for the most part, because their man has been caught with the goods, allegedly. These documents were found on November 2nd, this past November 2nd. So Sauber said the attorneys, I'm looking at a piece here, I think this is from Newsmax, said the attorneys immediately alerted the White House Counsel's Office, which notified the National Archives and Records Administration, which took custody of the documents. So this is, um, you know, Trump's under fire after the FBI discovery of a a trove of documents, many with classified markings at Mar-a-Lago, and the Justice Department is still conducting a criminal investigation. And Trump said today he was on the he was on all over social media. He said, when is the FBI going to, to raid the homes of Joe Biden, the many homes of Biden, perhaps even the White House? These documents, Trump now is speaking, were definitely not declassified. Trump said on his Truth Social account, sharing an article on the document discovery from CBS News. There's no way Biden could declassify them. He didn't have the authority as vice president. So I wonder if the Justice Department will investigate Biden. The Republicans are going to investigate him. You know, this is going to go round and round and round. I think this is, if it's true that he had uh, classified information, uh, it's an impeachable offense. It's an impeachable offense. And Biden's legal team's in overdrive. I mean, the FBI executed a search warrant last summer at Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, where investigators found more than 100 classified documents kept past his time in the White House. Again, I'll read you a, a, a quote here from Trump. We were told for months that this was treasonous, grounds for impeachment, and meriting the, the death penalty. Yet I have a feeling nothing's going to happen with Biden. That's what Donald Trump Jr. wrote on Twitter. We'll see what happens. I don't think anything's going to happen to Biden. Uh, You know, because nothing ever happens to the Democrats. Nothing happened to Hillary. Nothing has happened yet. Nothing happened to to James Comey or Obama or anybody else on the Democratic side. The media doesn't hold them to account. They just they do what they want. They break the they break laws or at least appear to have broken laws and nothing ever happens to them. I mean, it's frustrating. We'll see if anything comes of this. I'm not going to hold my breath. You know, there was a real sad story. I saw this either this morning or last night I saw this, that uh, a diamond of diamond and silk, her name is uh, Lynette Hardaway, 51 years of age, uh, passed away Monday. I, I don't know the cause of it. I still don't know. I'm looking at an old report here. First, they said her heart just gave out. I mean, that's why, that's how all of us die. Our, our hearts stop beating. 
And uh, but I guess I, I heard today I, I didn't read it from a credible source, but I heard maybe she had died from COVID. Although that's not been made clear yet either. She was a, a piece of work. Diamond and Silk are really talented, and they're Christian women. Trump loves them. They love Trump, and Trump put this on his on his so, a Truth Social last night. He said, "Really bad news for Republicans, and frankly, for all Americans," is what he wrote. Our beautiful Diamond of Diamond and Silk has just passed away at her home in the state she loved so much, North Carolina. And uh, Silk was with her all the way and at her passing. There was no better team anywhere or at any time. Diamond's death was totally unexpected. Probably her big and precious heart just plain gave out. That's where I read that. Her heart just gave out. Rest in peace, our magnificent Diamond. You will be greatly missed. And they were, I I had the good fortune of interviewing them on my program, uh, maybe five, six years ago in 2017, I think it was after Trump had won the White House, and they they were great. They're hilarious. Well, they were hilarious. And I'm sure the uh, the sister, the surviving sister, I think she's older, the uh, the shorter of the two women, they were just a, just beautiful, beautiful people. And uh, she passed away. I guess some, my wife was telling me some liberals had gone on their, their website, the Diamond and Silk's website, and just posted some nasty, nasty, evil stuff because they're of the devil. These liberals, they said, "Well, one down, one to go." Somebody had had posted. It's, on, it's just they're, they're just doing the devil's work. I see it every single day. Speaking of that, just a great great segue. I saw it today at the Capitol. the The governor of the state of New York. This is uh, this this broadcast here is taking place in upstate New York, but in Albany today, the governor. Governor Hochul gave her State of the State address, and uh, it was standard stuff, 45 minutes of a lot of pap, basically, no no meat. I mean, every kind of riffraff you can imagine was was at the Capitol and in the legislative office building today. Some of our people were there, some of the uh, anti-vaxxers. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but some of the people who are against the vaccine mandates, they were there by the hundreds carrying signs, and, and <laughs> they were yelling at us like we had some pull. So I said to them, a bunch of them, I said, look, I'm with you. I gave them the thumbs up and they thought that was great. They want to give me literature and and everything else. But uh, And then there was one group of people. They had uh, signs and they were, had flags. And I saw one red flag said, Communist Party USA. And I said to them, at least you're honest. These They're communists. And a lot of these people are doing the bidding of the Communist Party, whether they're supporting extreme environmental uh, measures or whether they're, you know, uh, pushing for increased uh, spending, whatever it is, it does benefit communists because what the state government does, what the state legislature does primarily is redistribute wealth away from the people who earn it and produce the wealth to the people who don't earn it and consume the wealth. That's what goes on in Albany for the most part. And I, I, I'm looking at this and uh, one of my colleagues got his phone out and, and ran a, a little video of it. And it's, I think it's, I'll, I'll get it up on my Facebook page. It said Communist Party USA, and they're plugging for all the, the things communists are, are been, have been pushing for for decades. These people are, they're rabid. There's something wrong with them. And uh, it just shows in what they're, what some of the policies they back. And they're just, they're just a bunch of real, I hate to pass judgment on people, but they're lowlifes. None of them work. What are they doing up in Albany all day long? They should be making a living. Like the people who are supporting state government. There are people that are out, I think about this every day, and I say this to my colleagues, there are people out busting their humps 
trying to keep a roof over their heads for their, you know, their wives and their children. And here we are at the public trough, myself included. I mean, I always worked in the private sector, but now in the last 15 or 18 years, however long it's been, I've been in the public sector and it's just a different, uh, it's a different uh, experience altogether. There's not the competitive pressures there are in the private sector. These people are floating around all day. They're going to Dunkin' Donuts every hour and uh, taking two-hour lunch breaks. And there are people out in the private sector working outdoors, many people, working hard. And a good chunk of their our paycheck goes to the state to support people who are, you know, not working all that hard. Let's put it that way. Let's see. There is a uh, proposal. And speaking of people not working all that hard, Joe Biden's administration, I heard this from somebody might have been Hannity or one of the national talk show hosts saying that the Biden administration, they work basically nine to five Monday through Friday. They don't work on weekends, which is not the way Trump operated or the George W. Bush administration. They worked. It was seven days a week with most Republican administrations. But the White House is moving forward with a proposal that would lower student debt payments for millions of Americans, not only now, but in the future. And that sounds good. You know, I'm paying student loan debt. And I, I, I look at this, I'm thinking, great, this is great news. And this came out before the midterms. Now, Biden came out with this, this uh, scheme to eradicate student debt or forgive student loan debt up to $10,000 and uh, maybe up to 20000 for some who received Pell Grants. But the, the, one of the courts shot it down and said it's not constitutional. That's still in the hopper. So the uh, administration has come up with a new way to repay federal loans under far more generous terms, they say. The president announced... The repayment plan in August, it was overshadowed by his, his plan to slash or eliminate, as I said, student debt for 40 million Americans. So this, uh, this payment plan kept a low profile because when he said he's going to eliminate debt for you know 40 million Americans, everything else kind of went under the radar. But some education experts see it as a more powerful tool to make college affordable, especially for those with lower incomes. You want to make college more affordable? Get the government out of the education business. Because you have too many bureaucrats. First of all, the bureaucrats at, at the education department call the new plan a student loan safety net. They always come up with a little catchy phrase that will prevent borrowers from getting overloaded with debt. Look, I mean, it's, it is an investment. And it, a lot of people fall for it. You know, pay now. You're going to pay more later with the, uh, with the interest rates. But I mean, uh, so it's out there. I don't think anything's going to happen overnight. I'm looking at a piece here, I think from Newsmax, and uh, this, I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds here. The White House has asked the court to uphold the plan and reject two legal challenges from conservative opponents. So the Biden administration submitted its brief last week. Oral arguments are slated to begin February 28th, so it's about six weeks out. And the Education Department formally proposed the new repayment plan today by publishing the plan in the Federal Register, starting a public comment period that often takes months to navigate. So it's not going to happen overnight. If you have to pay on student loans, you have to keep making your payments. I got one due this week. You know, it's it would be great if it got wiped out, but somebody has to pay for it. I mean, uh, it's not fair to the people who spent decades repaying their loans. A lot of people just got done paying and then Biden comes out with this plan over the summer or whenever he came out with it to eradicate all, you know, student loan debt up to $10,000. Anyway, on to uh the final story here, I can't believe it's the 15 minutes are almost up. There's a problem in New York City. There's a lot of, there are a lot of problems in New York City, but especially with these shoplifters. I mean, these are serial shoplifters, and they don't take pens and little pieces of candy. These people are stuffing everything they can get into their pockets, and they're not going to prison for it. 
So large and small grocers in New York City, they, they want the legislature to fix the law that gives carte blanche to these serial shoplifters. There's a piece here in the New York Post, and I'll just read it to you, a couple of paragraphs. And I, I read it today, it's like, this, this cannot be happening in America, anywhere in America. Collective action to protect our stores represents about 4,000 shops across the Big Apple. It has several requests of law enforcement as well as lawmakers, but the central one is to target serial shoplifters by allowing multiple small offenses to add up to a major one. Reformers guaranteed that no one would be jailed, let alone imprisoned, for thefts under $1,000. So the name of this group is, again, Collective Action to Protect Our Stores, or CAPS. They want serial thefts that add up to over $1,000 to qualify for grand larceny charges. A thousand, So you could, you know, shoplift up to eight, eight, $900 and, you know, get charged with a larceny. This is insane. The group is calling on prosecutors and judges to invoke the harm-on-harm doctrine to target serial thieves. Even as this hyper-progressive Manhattan DA did, Alvin Bragg, did in one high-profile case. They want, they want the DA's offices and the NYPD to dedicate units to address the plague. And you have people here, I'm, re- I'm reading this piece, they're stuffing dozens of shampoos and ice creams, steaks. They stuff this stuff in their pockets and in bags and they just walk out the door. If I owned a shop in New York City or anywhere and people were doing that, they'd get a backside full of buckshot. That's what I'm telling you. You cannot let people come in and just destroy your property. This is unbelievable. Criminals just brazenly plying their trade, whatever they're stealing, or, you know, they have people getting out, assaulting other people in New York City, pushing people in front of uh, subway trains, and they're, and they're back out on the streets. It's like this, if this is not the end of America, I don't know what is. I see this stuff and I read it all day long. It's, this cannot be happening in America. I realize it's New York City. No shoplifting. If, you're, if you get caught stealing a Milky Way, you ought to get busted in the face for it. But you can't do that nowadays. If even the shop owners are told, don't, don't do anything. Let these people go. We'll take care of it. And you have other shop owners who are buying these ill-gotten goods. And they want laws to uh, make it a class A misdemeanor that can bring fines and even a short jail time for people who buy stolen goods and sell them in their stores. So I'll just finish up this piece here. No less than Al Sharpton notes, even toothpaste is now locked up. So you have to get a clerk to open the case to buy toothpaste. And that's if the shop hasn't closed. There were hundreds of shops, literally hundreds of shops that had to close. They had to lock their doors. They opened them for only would-be customers who seem legit. That sounds to me like they profile. If somebody looks a little shady, they don't open their stores. It's it's crazy. All right. I mean, you're not going to get the legislature, these communists and the Democratic Party and the legislature to, to move on this at all. It's not going to happen because they view everything. They look at everything through the prism of race. They'll say, well, they're, these shop owners are, are locking their doors because they see young black kids coming in and they don't want... They don't want trouble, so they lock their, their shop doors. I mean, that's, that's how everything goes in, in Albany, these debates on the floor. They look at everything through that prism. Everything is racially motivated. All right, this is, uh, I, I know I'm forgetting about a half a dozen things. We'll, we'll catch up in the next edition of uh, the Pac-Man podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like, hit subscribe, hit that subscribe button. So you're notified every time we have a new show, and I try to do at least one show a week, usually two shows. 
This week, I've been in shock after the Packers got eliminated uh, this weekend from playoff contention by the Detroit Lions, no less. Although the Lions aren't really a, a pushover anymore. The Lions finished 9-8, and eight, first winning season under their new head coach, and the Packers finished 8-9. and nine. And some of this, the problems that have plagued the Packers all year uh, dogged them in the final game, and they, they came up short, unfortunately. So uh, anyway, we'll get back and try to do a weekend show for you. Hit like, subscribe, and by all means, hit share. Tell your friends about this program and about the website, the BMG Network. If you want to contact me directly, email me, pacman, P-A-C-M-A-N, at thebmgnetwork.com, all lowercase, and we'll get back in touch with you. Please check out all the fine podcasts we have on there for you on the BMG Network. My daughter does a great one, The Essentials with Maddie Flint. Uh, Adrian Ross has a show, and we have a couple of new shows up there too. So check it out, thebmgnetwork.com. Thanks for tuning us in, folks. And if the Lord wills it, we will talk to you soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG Studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint. 